Deion Grant's been in the league for a while. Miraculously, he recovered quickly. 34. Oh, wait, we had two guys go down and fake injuries. Yeah, I hate to say that wow. he's not really hurt, but that's a tactic that defenses have used in the past against no-huddle offenses to try to slow it down and stop the clock. Perry Fuel, hopefully... Well, I can promise you one thing. Don is not faking an injury today. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> he is, uh, he's playing hurt. I caught the scurvy again. Caught the scurvy again, but instead of going right to the basement, he's playing hurt today. Welcome to the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett. My host, co-host is Don Russ. It is September 21st, 2011. We are live from Buffalo, New York. On a Wednesday today, usually we tape these episodes on Tuesday. We're going to get into why we're here on Wednesday a bit later, or if you heard last week's show, I'm sure you already know why. But this is episode number 42, one of two episodes this week. We also will have episode number 43. Today, in the episode that you're listening to, episode number 42, we have interviews with Jay Clemens from the National Football Post. He's going to talk to us about fantasy football. Jay's a good friend of the podcast. We've had him on one other time before. And he's going to talk to us uh, a little bit about fantasy football. Also, we have an interview with Damon Hack. Damon was on the cover of Sports Illustrated just last week for his reporting on the Ravens and the Steelers. And he is going to be in Minnesota this weekend for Lions versus Vikings. We're going to kind of just go through the league, bounce around a little bit with Damon, and talk about some of the things that are going around all over the league. So that's this episode. We're also going to switch it up a little bit and start with Five on Fantasy, do three things later. Episode number 43, which is also going to be released simultaneously with this one, we're going to have interviews with Joe Lemire from Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. Joe, if you remember, was on maybe about a month or maybe two ago talking baseball with us, and he's going to come back, talk a little bit about the pennant races, talk about Justin Verlander and his uh, attempt to become an MVP as well as a Cy Young winner in the same season. And we're also going to talk with Kerry Byrne from coldheartfootballfacts.com. We're in Buffalo, and this is a big weekend for the Bills and Buffalo in general. So we have Kerry Byrne. We're going to talk a little bit about the Bills and Patriots we're going to have two sets of pick fours, two sets of three things, five on fantasy, book club update, all kinds of stuff between episode number 42 and episode 43. And before poor Don passes out, we're going to get going and kind of just barrel through this stuff. So let's get started with five on fantasy. It's time for a new segment we've created called five on fantasy with the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonette Ocho Cinco. T.J. Cushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. So I make a joke in that little open about how I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams many rounds after he had been selected. And I mentioned that because my brother Greg actually called me today in a panic. And he said, what the hell do I do? 
I have Jamal Charles. Now what? Hmm. And Don and I, on our way to our little field trip yesterday, we're kind of talking a little bit about this issue. And we're going to talk about it with Jay Clemens as well. But Don, I want to get your opinion. And the first question I have about this is, would you start the rebuilding of your team now that Jamal Charles, who is definitely your first round pick, is gone? Would you start with the Chiefs? Meaning, would you try to pick up Thomas Jones and Dexter McCluster first? Or would you be more interested in someone else that is potentially out there on the waiver wires? Or would you make a trade? I guess it all depends who's on the waiver wire. If somebody like Ben Tate is out there still, which is probably not overly likely, but, I mean, he's clearly better than probably both of those two guys. Um, I don't love Thomas Jones. He kind of falls in that Cedric Benson territory, but he's probably not even as good as Benson, where he is at least a starter in the league. And I'd actually probably be a little bit more interested in McCluster in like a flex spot if it's a PPR league, because he's going to get, I mean, he's, he's now their best playmaker on the team probably, other than Dwayne Bowe, but uh, I would probably, I would hit the waiver wire first. I'm not overly excited with either of the Chiefs, and then maybe work the trade avenue. I, I'm, I have this problem, too, currently, and I'm trying my hardest to make a trade with somebody. Well, actually, both of us have Jamal Charles in one league. Right. So why don't we both say what we've done to try to solve this problem? So, Don, in the league that you have Jamal Charles, what's kind of the makeup of that team, and what are you going to try to do to move forward? My strength in that team is wide receivers. So unfortunately, I mean, I got to give up something to get something. So I have Mike Wallace and Hakeem Nix. I'm kind of actively shopping them to get an upgrade at running back. Right now, my number one running back is James Starks, which is scary because no Sean Moreno's hurt. So I've been looking for some sort of equal value for those guys uh, who have both played. All right. Wallace better than Nick's, but they both have some value still. I actually had a little bit of luck in the league that I have Charles, and here's why. I was able to keep Javid Best last season. Right. And so I started the draft with him on my roster, and then the second pick that I made, or the first pick that I made in the draft was Jamal Charles, but the second pick that I made, luckily, was Mendenhall. Yep. So instead of being stuck with, nothing i am basically just gonna switch my flex instead of having my flex be at running back and starting best trials and mendenhall every week i'm gonna hope that best holds up start mendenhall every week i also have james starks in that league who i got a little bit lucky with right and i also have ryan grant who can provide a little bit of i guess veteran stability if you're looking for that and I also have Mike Williams, Mike Wallace, and Jamarco Finley on that team with Robert Meacham as my fourth. So I'm going to put Robert Meacham as my flex. I looked on the waiver wire. There's not a ton there, but I did put one claim in uh, for an extra guy at running back. And I'm going to see if I can make way with Mendenhall, Best, and Starks. So I guess in my position, and maybe some of the positions that people are in out there, I guess what I would say is don't panic. Right. You know, don't panic. Just take what you got and uh, see what you can do. But um, Jay Clemens is going to talk more about this issue later, and we'll get his advice on it. But 
I thought it'd be interesting to kind of go over some of the uh, some of the potential ideas there. All right, the next thing this week, uh, maybe I don't even think maybe probably the hottest uh, waiver wire pickup this week is going to be Cam Newton. Um, I called him out a little bit last week, saying I don't believe it until he does it again, and then he went out and did it again. He's 0-2, but in fantasy terms, I think he's maybe the second-highest-rated player behind Brady. So at this point, he has to be owned in every league. Um, I don't know how much I buy this going forward. He's on the pace for something like 5,800 yards, which he won't hit. And they've got to get a run game going if they actually want to win games. But that said, like he has to be owned. I'm not, I'm not sure who I'd start him over at this point. But I know in one league I have Freeman, and I was holding Manning, kind of hoping for that to work out. And I, w- I would consider I, he'd be a matchup play for me as far as Newton versus Freeman because Freeman hasn't been great. And the interesting thing about Newton, you got if you pick him up this week, you got a nice matchup against Jacksonville. Right. So certainly if you're in a pinch and you need someone to start this week, he's certainly very startable against Jacksonville. Like you said, he has to be owned probably in any 12-team league, any – 12-team or above, for sure, he needs right. to be owned. 10-team, he probably needs to be at least owned. A bench player, right. But, you know, maybe not. Uh, the interesting thing about Cam Newton and quarterbacks is I've been wondering if this season so far, out of any, is more proof that you should probably avoid a quarterback in round one. It seems like we're in a league where we have Aaron Rodgers. We're partners in a league. Uh, it's actually Jay Clemens' 16 league. 16-team league, right. It's a 16-team league. And we picked, Jamal, or we picked uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers late in the first round thinking that we're going to get an advantage at the quarterback position. There wasn't a lot of value left at wide receiver or running back because we drafted so late. But we're kind of finding out that with all of these quarterbacks that were picked later in the draft producing so well and the way that the league is really shifting into being – just a full-out passing league, right? Th- that advantage just isn't there. Maybe it will emerge as the as the weeks get on, and Aaron Rodgers is consistently good, right? Like someone like Chad Chad Henney is probably going to fall off, right? And someone like Aaron Rodgers is going to stay consistently good. But it seems like the whole strategy of don't draft a QB early is getting stronger and stronger as the year goes on. Yeah. Most of my leagues are 10 or 12 team leagues. That was the first time I've ever done one that big. Uh, and I almost always go with that thought, not drafting a quarterback till usually at least the sixth round. My thought there was, the thought in a 10-team league is, everyone's going to have a top 10 quarterback. Unless somebody does something silly and picks up a second one uh, before you, it's your turn to draft. But everyone should, in theory, have a quarterback that's at the top third of the league. In a 16-team league where half the quarterbacks in the league are going to need to be started, I thought, well, having the guy that should be the best is going to give you a huge advantage over the guy that's going to be 16th at best. Right. But but it hasn't played out hasn't. this year because there's, there's been so everyone's many yards good. thrown. Right. I mean, even, even someone like Kyle Orton, who has put up about 500 yards and three TDs. Those aren't great numbers, but that's 250 yards and a touchdown and a half every game. That's enough to keep pace with someone that drafted Rodgers especially considering whoever drafted Rodgers is going to have much weaker running backs than someone that waited. Chad Henney has almost 600 yards in two games. And like you said, that'll come back down to earth. But uh, I guess maybe Matthew Stafford's the best example. He was probably underdrafted because of his injuries, but he has about 600 yards and seven touchdowns. I mean, that's that's as good as it gets practically if guys like Brady and uh, 
Newton weren't going crazy this year. All right, third thing today. I'm going to do the start, and with the fourth thing, Don's going to do the sits. In episode number 43, this, of course, is episode number 42, I did an interview with Kerry J. Byrne from coldheartfootballfacts.com, and he had a lot of great stats about the Bills and the Patriots games this weekend. And one thing he mentioned to me is that the Patriots have been pretty lousy against pass defense this year. In week one, we saw Chad Honey with over 400 yards passing. In week two, uh, Phillip Rivers had a pretty nice game against them. So if Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of your quarterbacks and maybe the other one is, oh, I don't know, Josh Freeman or Eli Manning Eli Manning or someone in that range, Ryan Fitzpatrick could be a very good start for you this week. Okay, my first sit at quarterback, we just talked about him. Um, it's not that I think he's going to have a terrible game, but I think he's going to come back down to earth is Cam Newton. And it's not even so much about how I think he'll perform in this game. It's how I think that they're going to have to establish the run in this game. Cam Newton right now is the leading rusher on that team, and that's a team that just paid a boatload of money to D'Angelo Williams, still has Jonathan Stewart. Um, that's just not the way it should be. They're going to they're gonna put – Cam Newton's going to put up a ton of yards, but they're going to lose a ton of games if they have absolutely no running attack. So I would expect in a game against Jacksonville that should probably be low scoring – they try to get their running back situation back in order. And I could see Cam Newton like having a decent game, like maybe 200, 225 yards and a touchdown or two. But I think to expect him to throw another 400 yards in a game where he shouldn't need to is a lot to ask. Quick question. At this point, would you rather have Jonathan Stewart or D'Angelo Williams? I have no idea. I, 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 I have D'Angelo Williams in a league, and this is a, a matchup that should be as good as it gets because, like I said, I think they try to get it right this week, <clears throat> but I'd probably still start a guy like Starks over him, which is saying a lot about how little I think of both of them. And I saw an interesting stat this week. Jonathan Stewart had 100 yards receiving on eight catches yeah, last week. Yeah, that's so weird. He had never had more than 128 yards in a season. Yeah, I, I have no idea what they're doing there. All right, my start at running back is a guy that, if he's on your team, you should probably be starting him anyway, but that's Beanie Wells. Uh, Beanie Wells is a guy that I don't know you know last year he was in the timeshare with Tim Hightower Hightower's gone they still drafted a running back this year uh, to try to compete he ended up going down with an injury in the preseason so Wells has kind of been on his own for the first time kind of going at it here and I feel like he's done a pretty good job uh, as as the feature back and I have him in a league. I'm certainly starting him this week. I'm probably starting him next week. And I'm probably starting him the rest of the year, really, without thinking about it all that much. He plays Seattle this week, which I don't think you could ask for a much better matchup. Uh, so Beanie Wells is a guy that I think you definitely you got to get in there, even if it's just a flex play. But get Beanie Wells in your lineup this week. My sit this week, maybe this is a little bit too obvious, but uh... – the Patriots running backs. I don't know which one would necessarily be the best. Probably Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis uh, because he's the starter currently. But last year, every time you play the Bills, it would be that it would be your time to plug in whoever running back is from the opposition. This year it hasn't been the case so much. They did a pretty nice job on uh, 
Darren McFadden last week. They gave up a lot of yards to him through the air, but rushing, he averaged 70, like, right? Yeah, yeah 70, 70 yards, yards rushing on like 25 carries. So they did a real nice job on him. Um, ben Jarvis Green Ellis just hasn't been that impressive this year, especially considering the offensive numbers that the team's put up. So I don't, it, they're going to do their damage through the air. Uh, a guy like. Gronkowski, I think, is a great start this week. Especially with Hernandez out. With Hernandez out. The Bills always seem to get beat up by Patriots tight ends, especially Gronkowski. Uh, so I expect the Patriots to do their damage to the Bills through the air, not on the ground. All right, my start this week is Reggie Wayne. I've been preaching about Reggie Wayne all season, and I guess so far I'm 1-1. One one. He had a good week in week one, not as good of a week in week two. But I just think that, well... I just think that you got to be patient with them, and you can't you can't give up yet. You're one and one. You've had one good week, one bad week. No reason to panic yet. They're going to be down against the Steelers. I can almost guarantee it. I don't like their I don't like their chances this week against the Steelers. That even if it is at home, so I expect them to be down. I expect them to have to throw. And as we've always said, somebody's got to catch these passes. And I think Reggie Wayne is is kind of an obvious guy. And if you're tempted to sit him. Don't do it this week. Don't do it yet. Keep with him. Trust me. Someone's got to catch those passes. Someone's got to get those yards. And he's the most talented guy on the team. Right. I might be a little bit worried if I had Dallas Clark just because it seems like throwing to a guy who runs seam routes, there's more of like a, a timing issue there. But I think that they'll do just fine with the uh, outside receivers. So. I'm uh, I'm good with Reggie Wayne still. Keep him in. And our buddy uh, Dave Damashek would probably be the first to tell you that Pittsburgh's pass defense is a little bit. I don't know if I should use the word overrated, but it's shaky. It, yeah, it's shaky, and uh, it can be beaten. I mean, obviously, you'd like a better quarter. He said guys like Brady and Manning have learned how to beat it up, but uh, and Collins isn't in that class. But like you said, someone's going to throw for 200 yards there, so someone's got to catch those balls. Uh, my wide receiver sit this week is Hakeem Nix. Now, the thought here might be that everyone else is hurt. He's going to get a million targets, and that might be true. But he's also going to draw all the attention of Namdi Asamoah, you would assume. So with Eli being as bad as he is, Nick's having as poor a game as he did last week, he had a touchdown that saved a disaster of a week from him. Still a little banged up, probably. Right, still probably a little banged up. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of, of Hakeem Nix. And hopefully people in the fantasy league that I'm in aren't listening to this because I'm trying to shop him hard based on his draft status. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, he's an interesting guy because he, he started out the year banged up. Eli Manning is overthrowing everything. And uh, he's been, like you said, the touchdown saved him last week. Yep. My, all right. my last as a quick aside, yeah. I'm sitting all Chiefs. I don't want any Chiefs. I guess if you have Dwayne Bow, you probably have to start him. If you have Dwayne Bow as your number one wide receiver, then you're probably a little bit worried about your team at this point, unless you've got a lot of help at running back. But uh, I don't think there's any Chiefs worth starting other than Dwayne Bow, and I prefer him as like my third receiver. All right, last thing today on 5 on Fantasy – just a quick update, the listeners' league. No hijacks today. Don and I both held serve. Both won our games last week. Uh, Don put up a huge score, and I put up a score good enough to win. Let's see. At this point, this league is extremely close. There are eight teams that are 1-1. One one. 
One team, 2-0, one team, 0-2. A very, very competitive league so far. Uh, the Pittsburgh Feelers, number one <laughs> in the league, 2-0, 302.4. The uh, second best team. I'm ranked number two in, like, NFL.com gives like a power ranking or something, and I, yeah. I'm ranked number two. So. Yeah, you're moving up there. Well, you have 324 points. So you have the most points scored in the league, but you aren't 2-0. Right. So I guess Manning up, who leads the other division at 1-1. One one. There's four teams in that division, one-on-one, one, and one team 0-2. So basically, I'm very proud of the listeners. They did a great job. They've drafted good teams. This league is very competitive. It's going to be really fun. Uh, Don this week plays the um. Avatarist Jackson, and I play Manning up. So those are the guys that have a chance to potentially hijack next week. Uh, but definitely a very interesting league. So The one thing I'll add to uh, what we said, we both started 0-1 in this league, and now we're both 1-1 sitting one point out. And that just goes to show what we said about last week. Don't go nuts. It's, it's only one week. Same thing this week. Don't go nuts. It's only two weeks. Obviously, if you left Jamal Charles, it's maybe time to do some work, but don't go nuts after one or two weeks with your team. It's not over uh, at all. Like you said, there's only one 2-0 and team in this league, so at 0-2, you're only one game out of a playoff spot. So no reason to panic after two weeks. All right, that's it for 5 on Fantasy today. We're going to come back. We're going to get an expert opinion on some of the stuff we've been talking about. We're going to interview award-winning Fantasy sports writer Jay Clemens. You'll find out why that's funny in a second. Uh, then after that, we'll be back to do three things. Then we're going to have an interview with Damon Hack. And then we're going to close this show out with pick four. So we're going to take a break. Be right back with Jay Clemens. On the banks of the Red Sea, is a college known to all. Our next guest is from Detroit, Michigan, and is a graduate of Michigan State University. He also earned a master's degree from Wayne State University. He spent over a decade writing for magazines, newspapers, and various online mediums. In 2008, he was named Fantasy Sports Writer of the Fantasy Sports Writers Association for his work at Sports Illustrated. Today, he maintains the Fantasy Philanthropist blog at the National Football Post. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Jay Clemens. How are you doing today, Jay? You just said I was named Fantasy Sports Writer. It was of award. the year. I meant to they say of the year. Yeah, yeah. That's a big one there. Yeah, oh, no, my goodness. What a dope I am. You see, you see I make I'm, the stupidest mistakes you, sometimes. I was surprised that you were giving me a the same introduction that you gave me last time. Uh, because I would think that people would have rushed out to follow me on Twitter after that broadcast because uh, it was it was a triumph on my end. So I, I, I was surprised that you had to give another introduction. I just thought it would just be hey, this where, is where everyone would know me. Rockstar <laughs> treatment, man. That's what I demand. <laughs> All right. Well, I promise that next time you come on, it'll just be like, we'll play the song for 15 seconds, and I'll be like, all right, Jay's back. Yeah, that, that's good. That, that'll work for me. All right. So that sounds good. We'll We'll set that up for next time. So... We're two weeks in here, fantasy football season, and already there's, I guess, probably, well, what are the, how many people do they say 
play fantasy football. They say like fifteen million or something. I think. So it is. Uh, I, I like to tell people it is a billion dollar industry played by millions of people, and it's never going to. It's ne- the numbers are never going to get smaller. So whatever it is, it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Uh, in fact, you'll probably see an infusion of people playing that maybe didn't even play week one or week two that have want to jump into the pool. You know, all albeit late. Uh, it's 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 a phenomenon. It's and it's not going away. Yeah, so we have, let's say, 15 million people for the sake of argument. And in most 10-team leagues, or even 12, one of the top few picks in the draft is gone for the year. Kaput, Jamal Charles is on IR officially. He is gone. This happened a few years ago with Tom Brady. Maybe wasn't picked as highly, but pretty high that year. And he was lost in week one. If you're a Jamal Charles owner right now, is there anything you can do to make sure that your season isn't lost in the way that it seems like the Chiefs season is lost? I guarantee you John Brady was a round one pick in 90% of the leagues in 2008 because he was coming off the 50-touchdown, 8-interception right. yep. game. I mean, even even I, who have you know, diametrically opposed to taking quarterbacks, could see the rationale in him him going in round one uh, that year. Uh, it's a big loss to lose Charles. Uh, I'm in 11 fantasy leagues, and and as much as Charles is my favorite non-quarterback, non-Detroit Lion, uh, it, it was a devastating loss, but I only had him in one league. So it's not like I had to do multiple leagues where I have multiple contingency plans on waivers and things like that. Uh, for the most part, unfortunately, I, you know, selfishly, I got lucky. But for the people who have lost him, it's not the end of the world, especially in 12-team leagues. Uh, we just, we've had two weeks in the season. The playoffs, the, the fantasy bowls in for another 14 weeks. If you have fab money, you know, something in the 100 to 150 range, $150 range, if you have uh, viable parts on your bench at receiver or tight end or even quarterback that can be traded, there's still plenty of time to do it. But at the same time, you have to act now, especially if you're 0-2. You have to realize that the, the next Two weeks could be could define your season, and if that calls for trading your receiver depth or uh, overspending on sad money, but not killing your budget to get a running back like Roy Halu or somebody in Kansas City like Thomas Jones or Dexter McCluster, yeah, you have to do it. You have to take chances. You you can't be foolish about things, but at the same time, lose, the people that lose Charles, you have to take. Uh, you have to take chances. Even if you're a 2-0 club with tons of talent, you have to account for that loss in some way. If you are going to focus on a Chief, do you think Thomas Jones or do you think McCluster is the better option? This is the number one question. Obviously, I've been dealt with this week. and I've right. done a few podcasts where that was the first question. And I'll, I'll, I'll handle that question by asking everyone who asks me yet a question. The way the Chiefs are playing. With that sinking ship that is just hurtling toward the number one pick or the, or the number two pick in next year's draft, does it really matter how they're doing? Their offensive line wasn't that great to begin with, okay? And if you have, if, if we're going to see a repeat of Chiefs Lions or even Chiefs Bills, the running game is going to be completely taken out of, uh, out of, uh, you know, out of capacity what it could do, you know, by the end of the second quarter, beginning of third quarter, and, Bill Muir is calling the place. We're talking about a 69-year-old man who's had a long story history as a chief's assistant, but this is his first year ever calling place. 
And now, whether you think Todd Healy's calling the plays or not, the perception is that Bill Muir is calling them. The perception is that offensive line coaches typically want to run the ball. But if they're down 10, 15 points in the second quarter, they have to abandon that running game. So I, I tell people, if you're looking for uh, not great but steady production, go with Thomas Jones. And if you're looking for a lottery ticket, go with Dexter McCluster. It's that simple. There's no you, – you can't just – compartmentalize them universally you have to know exactly what you're looking for if you're if you're a conservative guy go thomas but if you if you have nothing to lose and you're looking for upside only you got to go mccluster <laughs> so i'm like you i only had uh charles in one league and uh i just for the sake of discussion in that league i also have best grant mendenhall murray and starks so if you were me would you just kind of roll? Uh, well, uh, you, that's a pretty good group. You might almost want Thomas Jones, but at the same time, you have nothing to lose. In your specific case, you have nothing to lose by for going with Cluster because chances are, uh, God willing, all the, the your stars stay healthy. That McCluster will never even see the light of day in your starting lineup. Maybe a flex guy during the bye weeks, but that's it. And so you really have nothing to lose. You're in a pretty good position. You could almost uh, take your running back depth and use it to your advantage against Charles' owner in terms of getting a trade or something like that if you want a high-end receiver or something like that. It, it, it really, you know, and I know there's factors of money and what order you are in the waivers, but really I don't think you could lose either way. But at the same time, you know, why not go for the lottery ticket if you know he's not going to play anybody? So let's talk about running backs a little bit before I want. I really want to talk about quarterbacks. I think that they're the most interesting thing in the early part of the season. But I've always had this strategy where I like to maybe wait a little bit on running backs and then like take a bunch of guys at the end of the draft that I think could maybe emerge. And you know, maybe so, there's a few of these guys that are going to get a chance this week. Uh, it looks like Foster is hurt again, so. Ben Tate is going to get a, another chance to start. Uh, Felix Jones has a separated shoulder. I'd imagine DeMarco Murray is going to get a chance this week. Uh, every week it seems like James Starks is getting more and more of the time and Ryan Grant's looking older and slower. Uh, you mentioned Halu is another guy who everyone was crazy about Hightower and now in week two Halu has this great game. Who are some of the off-the-radar running backs like that that you're most excited about? Uh, I would think, like, in the majority of leagues that, are, you know, that I'm in are 12-teamers. And uh, I, I don't really look at what's happened, like Felix Jones' injury. I like DeMarco Murray. I'm not sure what kind of upside he has in terms of as a rookie. Uh, I, I'm still sticking to Roy Halo. I thought Helu was the most impressive rookie that I saw, uh, well, at least as running back, the most impressive rookie back I saw during the preseason. And given the Redskins' record or, you know, track record, or at least Shanahan's track record, of using two running backs, now obviously they've had years where they've milked somebody like Mike Anderson for 1,800 rushing yards, and that could very well be the case for Hightower someday. I love the viability that Helu has in that offense. Uh, I still like Delonte Carter, uh, even though the Colts running back situation hasn't really been affected in the last couple weeks. Uh, I like Kendall Hunter, just because I, I'm, I'm very skeptical about Frank Gore, and I say that because I own Gore in four leagues. 
So it's not like I'm jumping ship or anything like him. I'm still looking to get the best value I can from him if someone wants to trade. But at the same time, uh, Halu, Carter, and Hunter are still the three guys I'm banking on the most. You know, we can make rash reactions from what's happened in the week two, but the bottom line is more injuries are going to occur, and you have to have your, your bench ready for such occurrences, even if they're not doing anything for you right now. Are you buying what you've seen from Daniel Thomas last week at all? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, just because the Dolphins have nobody else that can run inside. And for everyone who says that Reggie Bush can be that guy, I simply point to the fourth and one Miami had against New England in week one at the goal line where they could have just, uh, you know, t- and he could have taken a snap, uh, QB snap easily in, or they could have uh, pitched it to, or, you know, run a sweep to Bush and he would have scored easily. And instead they tried some fade pattern that didn't even involve Brandon Marshall, which just is insane. If you're going to throw a fade pattern in the end zone, always go Marshall's way. And on the very next play, Brady throws a 99-and-a-half-yard touchdown. Uh, that told me everything I need to know. The Dolphins' running game might stink this year, but Thomas is by far and away their best inside running option at this point. And so you have to, you have to, you have to roster him, and you have to consider him on a flex week consideration uh, based on that alone because they just don't have anybody else to go to. You mentioned that you like Delone Carter quite a bit. Are you getting, if you were a, a Dallas Clark or a Reggie Wayne owner, would you be getting nervous? I know Reggie Wayne's had one good week and one bad week. Uh, I don't think we've had a really good week from from Clark yet. With the Manning injury, do you are you ready to pull the plug on those guys, or do you think they still have value? Uh, I just realized I called uh, the the Lone Carter Delonte. My bad. Um, when you when you corrected, well, you didn't correct me, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I would never correct you. Uh, I, I wrote, I've written about the Colts the last two weeks, and I, they just have too much talent to be this bad. Okay, and uh, I, I have to think with Collins either getting either Collins adjusting to the offense or them leaning on um, or Dean Orlovsky or uh, you know Curtis Painter. It, it has to get better. It, it's not to say it'll get better this week against Pittsburgh, but it has to improve. If for any other reason than the Colts being down big time in the first half and needing to pass their way to respectability during garbage time, something has to give here at some point. So uh, Austin Collie had, what, 10 or 11 targets last week? I forget. And so while his stats are horrible, he's being thrown to. Reggie Wayne is still a starter in these leagues, you know, in a PPR, definitely, you, you do not abandon ship on somebody like Reggie Wayne. The people I'm worried about being lost in this offense with Kerry Collins, uh, the, uh, uh, Pierre Garcon, and Dallas Clark. Because for whatever reason, uh, that chemistry that you get running seam routes with your quarterback takes time, and it's just it may not occur between Clark and Collins, at least until midseason. In fact, Collins is still playing by then. And Pierre Garcon, for whatever reason, needed Peyton or needs Peyton Manning more than any receiver, which I would not have bet that to be the case uh, early, you know, during the preseason. But for whatever for whatever reason, unless he's hiding an injury, Garcon is barely worth rostering on 12-team leagues right now. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> you know, it's pretty uh, – I want to tell you this. Uh, Pierre Garcon is always going to have a, a soft spot in my heart because he probably dropped the biggest ball – in maybe Super Bowl history, and it led to my beloved Saints coming back and winning the Super Bowl. So I always have a, a soft spot in my heart for Pierre Garçon and that drop on third down 
in the Super Bowl Beloved a few years Saints. ago. Beloved Saints, aren't you in Buffalo right I now? I am from Buffalo, but I've been a Saints fan since age seven. It's all my, uh, you know, it's 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 all the Bills fans' fault because when I was a real young kid, before I loved football, I loved hockey, and I got so mad at the Bills because no one was paying attention to the Sabres because of the Bills. So I ended up hating the Bills, and then me and my dad watched football together, and it was the very first time that the Saints were in the playoffs, and uh, they lost so badly that it just broke my heart, and I've been a fan ever since. Isn't there a movie called Buffalo 70? Uh, I think it's what, something close where, to that, 66. Where, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever it is. I, yeah. I've never seen it, obviously, but isn't it about just how uh, Western people growing up in Western New York are ingrained to love, respect, and just worship the Bills no matter what's going on. Like Nick Mackay, I think, references right. that that movie released, you know, every time I ever see anything he writes for NFL.com or back in the day of ESPN.com. Right. Um, you, it's kind of weird that you like the scenes. I'm not saying it's bad, but at the same time, weird. Yeah, you know, I mean... somebody from there, you know, I, I can't think of how many scenes games you've got on, uh, on uh, what, your CBS or Fox affiliate uh, before Drew Brees. <laughs> right. Aaron Brooks Aaron Brooks wasn't moving the needle in Buffalo. So that's kinda cool. When I, when I was younger, my favorite thing about football games is the ten minute ticker. <laughs> because before fantasy they only really showed the scores every ten minutes. So I would be watching the games waiting for the ten minute ticker every ten minutes. But I uh, can't believe I used to watch football without fantasy in my life. And there, for the longest time in the nineties I fought fantasy because I always told people I want to watch Seattle play San Diego. That's when they were in back in the day when they are in the same division. I want to see them play at 4 o'clock just for the heck of it, just because it's football. And now I, I, I can't believe that a younger version of me once thought that because fantasy football is, has been a savior. It, it's been a saving grace for anybody who loves football but gets extremely bored at a game that's 45-3 to against the Chiefs in the second half. I know exactly what you mean. So... Let's get back on track. So the quarterbacks That's have, impossible. Yeah. <laughs> quarterbacks have been interesting this year because I think that they're proving what every all the experts say, don't draft a quarterback early because okay, we're in a 16 team league together and I the I, me and my partner had the 14th pick, or my partner and I, it was horrible. So we had the 14th pick and we picked Aaron Rodgers because we thought, all right, there's this is the best value here. Well, the problem we're owing two in that league the problem is is that so many quarterbacks have gotten off to such a great start and are scoring so many points that we're not having an edge at all by having Aaron Rodgers on our team. Do you think that this is going to be the year of the quarterback in fantasy football? And, and what I mean by that is do you think that no matter what size league you're in, every team is going to have one of the top you know, the, it, it's just, it's unbelievable how good the quarterbacks have been. It, it blows my mind that Cam Newton has experienced this, the success he's had, at least fantasy-wise. And, I, and I've written about that the last two weeks, and I will continue to write about it, about how, even though being married to an Auburn grad, that I have doubted this kid. Not, I've not doubted his talent to, to be great and to lead a team. I've doubted his talents to be the best player at whatever level he's at. And I'm, he's certainly not the best quarterback in the NFL, but he leapfrogged so many people in these last two weeks. I know he's not going to throw for 400 yards every week. I know that. But a guy that does that right off the blocks with, with let's face it, let's call it for what it is, inferior talent compared to the other teams that they're playing, he is an energy source. He, he's a succubus. I said this yesterday in a podcast. He's a positive succubus. 
where he he takes every bit of Panthers offense, all the energy in that offense. It's like Denard Robinson with Michigan. Everything involves him, and you can't touch the Panthers offense on any way without it affecting him. And unfortunately, he's going to need the D'Angelo Williams is going to need to find his niche in this offense because he's the only one that could really pay for Newton being such a positive energy force because him and Newton basically will occupy the same space uh, on a given play. So the defenses don't need to roll coverages or shift, you know, to account for Williams. But everything else is involving Newton, and it's a phenomenon, and I will keep riding this train. You know, I, I can only get a hit over the head so many times before I realize a guy that that throws for 400 yards twice in a row deserves my full attention every single week until proven otherwise. So it's been amazing. Um, the reason I tell people don't take quarterbacks in round one, especially Michael Vick, and I'm not knocking Vick, is this very reason the market has been flooded. So even if somebody has great stats, like Aaron Rodgers threw for, what, 308 last week? Barely got a mention in my column because every quarterback is playing well. Even Chad Henney had a monster week in week one, and Chad Henney will probably have at least three or four weeks this year where he throws for 350 or more. And, you know, and if you guess right, you can benefit from that. But it's been a crazy year. But at the end of the day, when the weather gets colder, the days get shorter, quarterbacks, I mean, running backs are still gold. Running backs will still lead you to a title. Um, I, I don't want a quarterback who's going to throw for 140 yards in week 16 playing outside on the East Coast where there's, you know, 50-mile-an-hour winds and it's 18 degrees. I want a running back, and I will gladly trade a dynamic force at quarterback to get great talent at running back because running backs will win you a title. The quarterbacks will help you get there. Running backs will win it for you. So my guess is that in a lot of leagues, Cam Newton went undrafted, and then after week one, Maybe a lot of people said, all right, well, I want to see him do it one more time. So then in week two, he did it one more time. We talked, you talked a lot about, what, you know, about Cam Newton, but my question is, what is he worth in the waiver wires if you have, say, a $150 budget? Well, uh, I'll give you a little personal story here. Week one, I had Josh Freeman and Chad Henney on my CBS team, and we have short benches in this league, and it's a keeper. So they, the keeper definitely helped aspect. But Chad Henney was just coming off of four or whatever he threw for against um, uh, New England. And I thought he was going to have a similarly stellar week against Houston as well. And I had Josh Freeman, who was looked bad in week one, but at the same time, you know he's going to be good when all is said and done. And yet I still, I needed running backs. I needed receivers to fill out my short bench since I have Sidney Rice and Colston, okay? And I still made a play for, for Cam Newton. I we have a what $100 budget, and I bet $13, okay? Week two, I guarantee that, that was, so that's what? That's obviously 13% of my budget. Week two, I guarantee you, you had to spend at least 30%. And this week, if he's still on free agency and people desperately need quarterbacks, you're, you're looking at something minimum of 38 to 42% of your budget. It, it, it's a necessary evil to fantasy. Even if you don't need him, especially in keeper leagues, you, you can't turn down value like that because you know a quarterback's going to get hurt this year, and Newton, if he's still playing at this high level, will be worth far more uh, on the trade market compared to what you spent for him on Fab Money. I'm looking at some stats here, and it's a PPR league, and the top two wide receivers in the league are Steve Smith and Kenny Britt. Who would you rather have long-term between those uh, two Britt. guys? Okay. Britt, I, I like Steve Smith, don't get me wrong, um, but uh, eventually, 
and I like the fact that Greg Olson and Chucky and Brandon LaFell and Jonathan Stewart have been prominent in the Panthers passing game. But just if I'm looking at overall skill, you take away Kenny Britt's uh, personal problems that he's had in the last year or so. He, he's a top 10 receiver, where Steve Smith has been a top 5 receiver the last few weeks. If, if you're just telling me to pick one, I'm picking Britt every time. Interesting. So uh, we talked a little bit about quarterbacks. Uh, we mentioned off the top some upside running backs. If you need a wide receiver, I feel like in, in most of my teams, if where the spot where I'm most beat up is wide receiver. I mean, there's a league where I have Aaron Hernandez, I have uh, Colston, and I have another wide receiver who's beat up. Uh, are there any gems out there? Uh, it seems like there's a lot of free agent tight ends, like Maybe Dustin Cowers of Albion in your league or uh, the Bills tight end. There's a couple guys there, but well, where do you go if you're looking for a wide receiver right now? I laugh on Twitter when I get these tweets from people that are saying there, there's no tight ends. And I'm like, okay, well, how many teams do you have in your league? Well, 12. You, there's tight ends. Not every single team has two tight ends, okay? And so if you have 12 and you have maybe eight of the 12 having two, that means only 20 tight ends in your league have been taken. And... While Jermaine Gresham and uh, Fred Davis have obviously been scooped up by now, Jared Cook, uh, obviously Chandler from Buffalo, those guys uh, either have flashed the potential or will flash the potential to be roster-worthy in 12-team league. So I'm not buying the tight end stuff. As for receivers, if you're in a 12-team league, there's always a good receiver that hasn't emerged yet and is on the break of break. You know, is on the cusp of breaking out. It just hasn't occurred yet. Uh, Jerome Simpson had a great week last week, but he only had four catches. And one of them was off, uh, I believe, a 51-yard touchdown. So there's a tendency to just kind of poo-poo it and say, well, you know, he, he didn't he, – he may have gotten the same amount of targets as uh, uh, A.J. Green, but he didn't match the production in, being, in terms of being reliable on every target. Right, he had uh, nine targets each week. Yeah, Brandon LaFell uh, will just – by you know, just by his presence alone – should get seven, eight targets a game because we know Carolina is not going to be playing with the lead for the majority of games this year. And with Steve Smith and the tight ends and Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams commanding attention, LaFell will not see double coverage at any point this year. So obviously he's not a starter, but he's definitely worth rostering. He, he, you know, you could do worse than having him as your fifth receiver. Donald Jones, okay? David Nelson is obviously getting tons of love with Buffalo because he's He's proven reliable in the red zone. He gets targets, and he has catches to boot right now. But with Roscoe Parrish being down, uh, Donald Jones is perhaps the most athletic receiver the Bills have. And I'm even including Stevie Johnson in that mix. And Stevie Johnson is a phenomenal athlete. But Donald Jones is a very raw player. But at the same time, there's a window here in the next five to six weeks for Jones to assert himself as a sneaky good candidate in fantasy leagues to the point where he's your fifth guy and you may even consider starting him on bye week. So those are a few guys that I like, but yeah, they're all there. They're going to be there every single week. Even guys that you wouldn't even think twice about now will look great to you on week six. And that's the great thing about 12-team leagues with receivers. There's always somebody coming around the corner. The Sportscasters, we just burned through 25 minutes with Jay Clemens. I told him I'd keep it to 20 today. You can find his work on the National Football Post. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at ATL underscore J-A-Y-C-L-E-M-O-N-S. He is an award-winning fantasy sports writer named by the Fantasy Sports Writers Association. 
Let's get that Boom. right. There you go. And next time he's on, he will just be Jay. Thank you very much for your time today. Anything else you want to mention? Plug anything I missed? Uh, no, I'm actually writing tomorrow's column right now, so we actually touched on a few things about it. So uh, I'm, 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 it's it's good to break in material on your podcast. You know, kind of like a comedian would break it in in, in, in Des Moines, Iowa, before he takes it to, <laughs> before he takes it to, to the Tonight Show or something like that. So, no, as always, I'm 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 more than happy to do your show, and uh, you know, best of luck in in uh, with your podcast in and in our league as well. All right, very fun. We'll talk soon. Okay, thank thanks, you. Jay. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty, I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, in the open today, we played a little clip of uh, a couple broadcasters calling out the Giants for faking injuries. And this is something that's probably always been a problem with teams, typically out of timeouts in a game, looking to get a little bit of an advantage. The NFL has sent out a video saying they're going to crack down on this, saying teams could lose uh, money and, more importantly, draft picks. Hmm. Now, how do you think they argue if a guy's faking? Like in the, in the Giants game, it was pretty blatant where two players just stumbled down at the same time. So somebody didn't... Uh, didn't get the memo. Like they didn't. There was a little bit of a mix-up as to who was going to fake the injury. Fake it, right. But I don't know. Is this as big a problem as the NFL is making it out to be? Like injury faking is something that has no place in the game, obviously. But yeah, I mean, you don't want it to turn into a soccer game where there's people flopping right, all over right. the field, and you know, then they suck on an orange and they're back at it. But it's there's such a gray area there, and you hate to accuse. It's so awkward to accuse someone of being hurt when they're or not hurt when they are. Right. You know, it's such an awkward thing there. And it's kind of hard to enforce. It's kind of like the diving penalty in hockey. Right. You know, sometimes there's these obvious dives and they're really easy to call. But other times it's real gray. And I guess the NFL, if you're going to penalize a team, you're only going to be able to penalize the really obvious ones. Anything that there's a gray area, you're just going to have to let go. But I, it seems like a bit of an overreaction to me. I don't so think it's thing, quite right. as bad as it. I think maybe what you can do is if uh, the, currently the way it works is if a player is hurt, he has to go out for a play. Maybe they should make him sit out the rest of the series. Um, if it's something severe enough or he needed medical attention, it's probably not a bad idea anyway. I guess maybe the downside of that is players will try to play through things they shouldn't. But if you want it to go away... It's a little bit more severe without outright calling the guys cheaters or liars. Absolutely. We are talking on Wednesday instead of Tuesday, and the reason is that last night Don and I went to see Pearl Jam 20. Indeed. And uh, it was pretty interesting because being here in Buffalo, we're very close to the Canadian border, and where I live in Buffalo is a northern suburb, which is even closer to Canada. So Don... Came over to my house after work yesterday, and we took a quick drive over the border into Canada and uh, did the uh, very unique thing of leaving our country and entering a foreign country for the purpose of just watching a movie. Watching a movie, right. And uh, that irony wasn't lost on the lady in the box at the border who was like, 
You guys are doing what? <laughs> but uh, it was a great time. The movie was very cool. I gave it an A minus. I think if you're a casual Pearl Jam fan, you'll probably give it an A plus. If you're a little bit more of a serious Pearl Jam fan, you might you might not leave, learn might as leave much. Wanting a little bit right. more, a little bit more. But I will say that this came out with a book and with a CD, and those are great compliments to the movie. Uh, the things where the movie falls short, I think the book does a good job of detailing. And personally, I'm very excited for the three-disc DVD set to come out, which is going to have all kinds of extra footage and stuff they left out. But it was a great time last night, and I'm very proud of Cameron Crowe, and I'm very proud of Pearl Jam as a Pearl Jam fan uh, to realize all the things that they overcame in their career and to have persevered and still be around is quite the accomplishment. And uh, it was a great time last night. Pearl Jam does a lot for their fans, so I'm not saying this is an insulting thing, but they do a great job of making me feel excited to spend money on stuff. For one movie, like you said, they released a book and a soundtrack, which isn't like overly expensive or anything. For all three, it'll come out to around, I don't know, around 100 bucks if you get the deluxe edition of the, the movie with the three DVDs, but I'll be happy to spend it, and I can't wait to get my book in the mail. My second thing today... Quarterback numbers this year, which we touched on in the open about fantasy football, are huge. And that, for me, is a little bit counterintuitive, especially considering that the preseason was shortened. And it's not just the quarterbacks. Like people said, look for teams with established offenses, established quarterbacks to have better success this year, like the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers, the, the Saints with Drew Brees. But it's not just them. It's guys like Cam Newton who m- missed out on all that off-season work and are still having some success. Uh, Chad Henney. Chad Henney. Usually they say at the beginning of the year the defense is always ahead of the offense because not defense is more of just about being athletic and reacting and whatever. Even uh, Matt Hasselbeck in Tennessee has 621 yards through two games. Uh, everyone is putting up huge numbers. Except for Luke McCowan. <laughs> Luke McCown and uh, Donovan McNabb is struggling a bit still too. But, yeah, I mean, Matt Schaub, who's put up 450 and three TDs, that would be like an okay season. That probably puts him around like the 15th or 16th quarterback in the league. Manning, who I kind of pick on a lot, has over 468 or has 468 yards for two games. I don't get it. Necess- I, I know the league is becoming a passing league, and maybe this is just more evidence of it than ever that – this should be behind. If anything, the running backs are behind for some reason. I think it's just a culmination of a lot of things. One being a series of rule changes over the last group of years that have meant to favor the offenses right. and the quarterbacks. You know, the, the protection rules, the roughing the passer rules, the five-yard can't-touch-the-wide-receiver rules. All those things, I think, have led to more offense. And then for whatever reason, we found out that the lockout has left the offenses a little bit ahead of the defenses at the start of the season. Maybe it's that some of these big linemen that are in charge of getting to the quarterback aren't in as good a shape as they usually are at this time of the year. I'm not really sure of the answer, but that is definitely a topic that we will cover with Damon Hack as soon as we're done with three things here. My second thing, there was a lawsuit uh, filed today by the United or yesterday by the United States Justice Department uh, calling poker players uh, Letterer, uh, Howard Letterer, and 
Jesus Ferguson, they've been accused of being guilty of a Ponzi scheme based on their alignment with full tilt, full tilt poker. Really? And there's an interesting article about it at sportsgrid.com that kind of blames President Obama. Apparently, Obama voiced support for online poker during his 2008 campaign. He hasn't he has failed so far to act on legislation that's just sitting on his desk that would allow online poker to be legalized, then be regulated and be taxed and be part of the solution right. of this financial problem that we have. Uh, the article makes a great point in saying that prohibition at all levels, uh, whether it be drugs alcohol, or alcohol right. or gambling, just does not work. And the best thing to do is to police these things. And the money that could be made at po- in poker is unbelievable. But Full Sail Poker has found themselves in a bunch of trouble. And Felix Salmon, uh, who's from Reuters, uh, wrote the following. As any banker will tell you, Deposits are liabilities, but full po- full tilt poker treated deposits as assets, handling them out to its shareholders and counting on two things to keep its business going. The fact that people lose at poker and that the continued inflow of new funds would help them pay the players cashing out. The problem, of course, is that poker only makes money when they take a rake. Right. So when the rules came down that poker wasn't legal, then the amount of games being played became less and less and less. Right, and for and people they that, lost out on all that rake. And for people that don't know, the rake is the only thing that makes poker illegal. Like if you have a home game in your house, you can have money on it as long as the house isn't taking money on top of that. Right, it's not considered gambling because it's a game of skill they consider it. Right. right. So yeah, that's interesting. I, what I find fascinating about that is uh, Chris Ferguson and who was the other one? Howard Letterer? Yes. We're probably just r- given a check and told to wear the hat. And right. Where does their responsibility lie in investigating a company that pays them? Is that? I mean, that seems a little bit, a little bit tough on their part. I don't think they probably have as much to do with that. I know that they're two of the people named. They're not the only people, though. Right. Um, and you can find more about this on the Reuters website. Uh, if you Google Full Tilt Ponzi, there's uh, another good. And that's linked on the Sports Grid site as well. So definitely a lot to look into here. Very interesting story. And, uh, you know, if I was President Obama and I was looking at the deficit that I was looking at and I saw poker as a way that we could collect some tax money. And yeah, why not? Why not? The problem, uh, real quick, without getting too political, is the problem with like any presidential election, Republicans, Democrat, whatever side, is when they're running for office, they make all these promises of these things that they're going to do when they're in office. But it's they really have, they don't really have as much power. I mean, they're the most powerful person in the country on an individual level. But it's not like the president can just say, okay, I want this to be passed. I want this to be passed. Right, there's a checks and balance. There's all these checks and balances. So they promise all this stuff that sounds great in the beginning, and it just almost never seems to work out. Uh, Anyway, my third thing starts with a clip, and here it is. And the pitch to Hamilton swung on and belted. Buy new floors and countertops from CC Carpet through the month of September and get them for free if Josh Hamilton hits a grand slam. What a deal. How could you go wrong? 
Dad, are you crazy? And we're yep. offering up to five years to pay. So, yeah, uh, father and daughter in a commercial, if you didn't hear the beginning of it, it was a Josh Hamilton clip of him hitting a grand slam. And the company promised that if he hit a grand slam during the month of September, anyone that purchased flooring or countertops would get their money back. They'd get a full refund. Well, he did. Yeah, the next day after we our podcast last week, Wednesday, he hit a home run, and they lost. I don't see it in this article. But yeah, you told me around five hundred thousand dollars, but they insured it. They were so. insured. Yep. That's crazy. What insurance company would take that? That's is that one of the what is it, Lords of London type of? I, I don't know. That's it's very strange. Like it's almost like a Vegas. Like you can get Vegas to take odds on anything. Where do you get an insurance company to uh, insure a crazy, basically gamble? Well, you had another couple of contests that were similar. You wanted to mention? Yeah, right? local locally here, there's a uh, Dunkin' Donuts around here that's giving free coffees to anyone named Bill or Jill until the Bills lose. So. I mean, that might only be good until Sunday, but still, that's kind of cool. And there was another one that isn't so much a promotion. Well, I guess it is, but uh, BYU apparently got embarrassed in their game. I honestly didn't watch the game, but they said, bring in your BYU ticket stub for a free turnover, which is kind of a play on words, and they uh, turnover, I think, is like a pastry dessert. Interesting thing. Uh, during the preseason, I know I mentioned this on the show, my girlfriend and I went to watch the Bills and the Jaguars play. And at the Bills games, when you walk in, they give you a little bit of a program. Uh, it's a free one. It's nothing great, just a few pages of this and that. And there was a coupon in there for a free footlong at Subway if the Bills scored over 20 points. And they did. So we went to Subway. It's only good the next day, which is Sunday. In this case, it was because the game was on a Saturday night. So we went to Subway the next day. And they showed me the stack of Redeem coupons. And it looked like they had probably 200 of them. Wow. And he was saying that his boss was going to be pretty ticked off because he's a franchise. And the corporation who made this deal with the Bills didn't doesn't give them any money. Wow. So that was on the local franchise to honor that coupon. At their cost. So he probably could have not honored it. It said at prices and participation may right. vary type thing. He yep. probably could have not honored it, but then he looks like the And jerk. then you piss off the 250 people that came in. Right. That's 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 rough. Tough situation. The only uh, college football game I've ever been to was, I said before, uh, I went to my little sister's. She cheerleads for UB. And they did like a halftime thing. I think it was with Wendy's where they have like the punt machine. You know, it's like the, the pit, like the throwing machine, but it throws the ball way up in the air. And however many this guy could catch, like your things got progressively better. And to his credit, this guy they pulled out of the crowd caught all three of them, which is that's supposed to be something that's hard to do is catch a. So punt. what do you get? Like a double cheeseburger? Yeah, it's some. I think you get like their parfait now. They've got like that uh, <laughs> apple caramel parfait or like an Oreo parfait. So we, me and uh, the wife will head to Wendy's one of these days for a free parfait, courtesy of some guy in the stands. <laughs> all right, my last thing is kind of a funny story. It's courtesy of sportsgrid.com. Apparently, there is a guy out there, and he, his name is Stephen Pittman. Okay. And he's a registered sex offender in Maryland. Okay. Currently, he's living in Philadelphia, and he is going around town 
pretending to be Vince Young. <laughs> he sort of looks like Vince Young, sort of doesn't. The picture on SportsGrid has his eyes covered, covered with something, up, yeah. so it makes it a little bit difficult. But he apparently he had a Facebook page. The scam here is he collects money for in the name of various charities that Vince Young supports. Wow. Then pockets the money. Vince Young somehow heard about this and gave an angry press conference on Monday telling people to watch out for the fake Vince Young. But one of the dudes on SportsGrid happened to have a buddy that he went to college with who had a bizarre night out with the fake Vince Young. And I guess they met on Facebook and started going back and forth, agreed to meet at a college bar. And I guess this guy acts like he's Vince Young, hands out cash, uh, you know, buys drinks, bought all these college kids drinks. And uh, then they asked him if they could see some of his tattoos. <laughs> Vince Young is kind of famously tatted up. And uh, he got weird and bailed out. But fake Vince Young is out there. I guess if you're going to pretend to be an athlete like i could never pretend to be shaquille o'neal right because i'm white and short i guess you have to just kind of go with the guy you look most like right so i guess that explains picking vince young but outside of that is there any reason you'd ever want to impersonate vince, vince young? young i don't know he's looking at being the third string quarterback on that team with the injury and uh what's his name kafka yeah kafka. he looks pretty good in relief of vic the other day it's not uh macklin dropped the ball actually late that could have picked up a first down. Anyway, uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Watch out for fake Vince Young, who not only is a thief, but also a reg- registered sex offender in the state of Maryland. Just an all-out stand-up guy. Oh, I know. I was going to say Sports Grid. We, we've had those guys on before. Uh, it's a good follow on Twitter, so check them out. Check out their website. And that sounds like a TMZ story again for a site <laughs> that doesn't want to know. Like I said, I love their site, but it is a, it's a little gossipy, but it's funny. It's got good stuff. All right, that's it for three things for this episode, episode number 42. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and please stick with us. We have an absolutely fantastic interview with Damon Hack. I recorded it a couple hours ago. Damon is great, and the interview we had was really great. We just kind of bounced from team to team to team in the NFL. It flows really good. And when that's over, we'll be back to kind of close out this episode with pick four. Our next guest is from Los Angeles, California, and is a graduate of UCLA. He then went on to UC Berkeley, where he earned a master's degree in journalism. Professionally, he has covered the San Francisco 49ers for the Sacramento Bee and the New York Knicks for Newsday. He then moved on to cover golf and the NFL for the New York Times. Today, he is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated covering golf and the NFL. Just last week, his story on the Ravens' domination of the Steelers earned him the cover of Sports Illustrated. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented... Damon Hack. How are you doing today, Damon? I'm great, Stephen. How are you doing today? Doing very, very, very well. And I know that the last time we talked to you, you were uh, in the midst of having very, very newborn triplets. How are things going? 
They're going great, thank you. They're uh, just over three months old now, starting to have the face recognition. They smile at you when you when you see them and look at them, and they're they're growing big. You know, they're they're outgrowing some of their early onesies, and they moved on from the size one diaper to the size two diaper. So it's been it's been fun watching them grow, and it's tough to be on the road when you're not with them, and it's great to be home and just kind of seeing them develop into into little people already with the different personalities. Well, it's not triplets, but on October 1st, I get a brand new little puppy named Colston. So I'm excited for him to come home. There you go. Look, the puppies like that's like how you begin. You know, yeah. we have two dogs as well. So we have uh, three boys and, and actually two puppies, two boys uh, that are dogs that are six and five years old. So we've got a lot of testosterone in the house. <laughs> are they named after football players like my dog? No, we're uh, we're just just Stuart and Pedro. Oh, okay. Uh, just uh, yeah, no, uh, but no, no sports uh, related. Though Pedro Martinez was, was uh, a longtime pitcher, and, and uh, he was with uh, the Mets, and he was with the Red Sox and the Dodgers. And I'm a Dodger fan, and my wife's a Mets fan, so we did kind of chuckle that we came up with Pedro, but not uh, explicitly named for Pedro Martinez. Though he was a pitcher that uh, that we both liked. I love it. All right. So, last time we talked, we talked a lot about golf. We did a little football. I think it's going to certainly be the opposite this time. It's NFL season. It's finally started. We got games. We had that crazy summer where we were wondering, will we have games? You know, it was legal talk, and it was just horrible. But here we are. The season's going, and there's games. And I guess the first question I want to ask you is, what has kind of surprised you the most about the way the games have been played the first two weeks of this somewhat strange season. It really, really was a strange off season, and I think it's continued into the regular season. I've been surprised at uh, how far the offense seems to be ahead of the defense, and I think in a lot of ways it's a culmination of these rule changes over the last five years or so as the, as the league really tries to down on the helmet-to-helmet hits and, and some of the, the horse-collar tackling and some of the things that we used to see for so long. And I think a lot of people thought offenses would be behind the defenses, and it hasn't really been that way at all. It's been 500-yard passing games from Tom Brady, you know, back-to-back AFC Offensive Player of the Week. He's won, and Cam Newton as a rookie, people thought he would struggle mightily with a, with a poor Carolina football team and a lot of upheaval there. And, and here he is throwing for 400 yards in his you know first two games. So I, I think I've been surprised at how well the offenses have played so far. It's clearly a passing league now, and we're seeing that a lot of teams they're just putting the ball up 40, 45 times a game. And I think it's been very uh, exciting for the fans so far, who went from sadness during the summer worrying about losing football games to having these exciting games uh, so far in September. Some of the teams that have started 2-0, uh, they don't surprise us. I mean, I'm sure uh, many people thought the Packers and the Patriots might be 3-0, but maybe not the Texans, maybe not the Bills, uh, maybe not uh, there was another team I was thinking. Whatever. The Lions are 2-0. The Lions, the Lions are, that was yeah. the other one. And the Redskins. Uh, and the Redskins, yeah. Yeah, are, are any of those which of those two and O teams kind of surprises you the most? And of the surprises, which team do you think is most likely to keep it going for a playoff run? Probably the biggest surprise for me is the Redskins at, at two and O. I think a lot of people kind of question Mike Shanahan's decision to go with either Rex Grossman or John Beck 
as a quarterback this year. Here's Rex Grossman, who in his first two games anyway has played very well, thrown, uh, you know, spread the ball around. They have a nice kind of two tight end offense featuring Davis and Chris Cooley that's been very effective. They're running the ball very well. I think a lot of people just expected the, the Skins to be kind of a, a fair to middling team, which is what they've been for the last really decade. They just have not really factored in that NFC East, and here they are out to a quick 2-0 start in, in the out front in that division. Not sure they can hold on, though. The, the Detroit Lions, however, at 2-0, a football team that I think is going to be just a, a handful offensively, defensively, very strong. In fact, I'm going to um, Minnesota this weekend. I'll be covering the Vikings and the Lions game and hopefully writing a, a feature story on Indomitian and Sue to the Lions continue their undefeated start and, and break out to a 3-0 start. It'll be fun to uh, to feature him. I think they're a team that has just strength and youth and, and vigor on both sides of the ball. Matthew Stafford is healthy, uh, has tremendous weapons that he's really featuring in, in Calvin Johnson and Nate Burleson and, and Javid Best at running back. And, of course, defensively, you know, shades of Jim Schwartz's great Tennessee defense is uh, manned by not Albert Haynes anymore, but Indomitian Sue in the middle and Kyle Vandenbosch rushing off the edge. It's really just a well-balanced team that, that seems to be uh, really possible to challenge the Green Bay Packers in that division. On the flip side of that, we have the Vikings, we have the Colts, we have the Panthers, we have the Seahawks, we have the Chiefs. And I think there might be one more. The Dolphins and the Rams are all at 0-2. Uh, the Colts is kind of a, just something we'll put aside because I think that that's just based on circumstance and maybe a little bit of shock over the Manning issue. Is there any other 0-2 team that really surprises you? And is there one that you think can bounce back and contend for the playoffs? It, it's historically, 0-2 has been a, a very difficult position in terms of turning that into a playoff team. It really has, and I think a lot of people kind of viewed the Rams as a team that would be similar to the Lions, you know, a team that was, you know, not a, a winning team last year, but a team that had a lot of good pieces in place. And to see them at 0-2 coming off of Sam Bradford's rookie year, you know, offensive rookie of the year, and, you know, they've been really just beset by injuries. You know, if you got to watch any part of the game on Monday. I did, yeah. Uh, they, they lost a lot of a lot of key players. Steven Jackson was on the sideline. Danny Amendola hurt himself in week one. So that's a team that I'm kind of worried about whether they can bounce back uh, from their 0-2 start because of uh, you, know, you have a young quarterback and you have a team with so many injuries on both sides of the ball. You have to wonder if they'll be able to to, uh, to bounce back. But they are in a division that is gettable. That's the one thing in their favor. When you look at the Niners and, and the Arizona Cardinals, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, I mean, these are teams that are, are all gettable and beatable. So the, the Rams, if they can get healthy and find a way to, to bounce back, I think they will. The Miami Dolphins, another 0-2 start, you know, despite really kind of being in that shootout in week one with the Patriots where they showed a lot of things and Reggie Bush seemed to be, you know, stepping right in and, and showing that he could kind of carry the load. And then in week two, they just got, you know, ran out of the building by the uh, Houston Texans. And you have to wonder, you know, Reggie Bush was almost invisible in that game. He, he barely touched the ball. So I just think in, in that division as well, when you're seeing a Buffalo Bills team that's 2-0 and and obviously the Patriots are always going to be uh, just a threat as long as Tom Brady is around. It's going to be hard for the Miami Dolphins, I think, to turn around their 0-2 slide. Just a scary aside about the Rams. They don't play their first division game until November 6th, and between now and then they play the Ravens, Redskins, Packers, Cowboys, and Saints. 
Yeah, Ouch. that's a, that's a brutal, <laughs> that's a brutal schedule, and, and you know that's why you got to win early. You got to get a couple wins under your belt and really kind of get that momentum going. You know, and all of a sudden the Redskins are are, are going to be a tough out. You know, if you start one and one, and even one and one feels a lot differently than than zero and two does. You know, I mean, here's you know the Baltimore Ravens. You know, I wrote about them being unbeatable practically after week one, and they lose in week two. But you're you're okay at, at one and one. But as you mentioned, in the stat that the only two teams that have a lot of problems trying to to make it to the playoffs. It already feels like a big hole. You're two games under 500 as opposed to being at 500. Very hard to uh, to start losing those games. To so kind of spending that cash early, it's hard to make it up uh, later in the winter. This might be a better question to ask you if you are on next week, but the Vikings. It seems like Donovan McNabby had an awful first week. Played a little bit better the second week. But it seems like they just never give the ball to Adrian Peterson enough. Uh, he had 25 carries in week two, only 16 in week one. Um, this team, it just there's just something that just never makes sense about this team to me. And they're 0-2 as well. Facing Detroit could easily be 0-3. W- what do, you th- do you have any feel for the Vikings yet? And... Do you think that Donovan can turn things around there, or do you think he's just past that point? Yeah, I spent some time with the Vikings the last couple of seasons. I did Adrian Peterson cover story for the magazine a couple of years ago when they blew out the Cleveland Browns in week one, and the headline on the cover was Dominator. And it just looked like this team with with Favre at quarterback and Peterson running the ball and Jared Allen rushing the passer. It seemed to have a lot of those important pieces to to be a contender. And obviously they were, you know, a a, a bad interception away from, an overtime away from being in the Super Bowl uh, a couple of years ago against the New Orleans Saints, so it's amazing to me how quickly things have disintegrated there, and whether you want to talk about injuries, and the Brett Favre injury, and obviously they, they, they end up you know firing Brad Childress, they bring in, you know, they promote Leslie Frazier from defensive coordinator to head coach, and I kind of thought this team might surprise some people. I thought that Donovan, being in a new environment after such a bad ending in D.C., and being on an offense where he could hand the ball to a guy that you'd want to give the ball to 30 times a game, in some way or another, 30 touches, be it you know, a combination of, of rushes and, and, and pass catches. I'm, I'm with you. I feel like Adrian Peterson isn't featured enough. I know I remember talking to Brad Childress during his rookie year, and he talked about how he wanted Adrian to, you know, learn behind Chester Taylor in terms of how to be a complete back and block on third down. You know, you had Chester coming in on third down. You had Adrian carrying the ball on first and second down. And I still think there's a bit of a tendency to, to want to protect him. Obviously, he had a little bit of injury trouble in college. And I think there's just a hesitation to kind of wear these guys down. A lot of teams have that two-back system. You see an Adrian, you know, you see an, uh, an Ahmad Bradshaw, for example, with Brandon Jacobs. You see Sean Green with LaDainian Tomlinson. Personally, I think Adrian Peterson has the build in the game where you want him to touch the ball a lot. And unlike you, they, they could be 2-0. They were up 17-7 on the Chargers in Week 1. They were up on the Bucks for most of the game in Week 2. And here they sit at 0-2 through two weeks. And I guess the latest I heard is that McNabb and Jared Allen and Steve Hutchinson called a player-only meeting and said, hey, guys, we got to get our act together before it's too late. 
Yeah, absolutely. And they face the Lions this week, but then maybe a little break in the schedule with Chiefs and Cardinals after that. Uh, you mentioned the Bills a little bit earlier, and we are here in Western New York, so I'd be probably amiss if I didn't ask you what your initial impressions are about the Bills' uh, 2-0 start and how you assess their chances. Uh, to me, it seems like the ceiling for them is maybe eight or nine wins. Is that kind of where you are, or do you think they'll do a little better or a little worse than that? I, I think eight wins would be a, a really good season for them uh, under Chan Gailey. Um, we're going to learn a lot about them this weekend, won't we? They play, yep. play the New England Patriots, who have a tendency to really undress the Bills and just kind of knock them back to reality. They've done it so often in the past. And, you know, the Bills are a fun team right now. They're, they're playing with confidence. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is their quarterback. And Stevie Johnson is their wide receiver who's done very well. They have Fred Jackson running the ball. And they really, you know, they had two really impressive wins against the Chiefs and against the Raiders when they were down. And they came back and, and converted a couple fourth down plays to keep that game um, from slipping away. But, I'm going to learn a lot about them this weekend. You know, there's a tendency in the league, you, you have to kind of get over the big brother. I think we saw the Texans, obviously, with no Peyton Manning in Indianapolis, they just destroyed the Colts, and maybe that's what the Texans needed, you know, to have Peyton Manning out of the way. But, but Tom Brady's still throwing passes in New England. Until, to me, the Bills are able to get over the New England Patriots, I'm going to have some questions about you know, how viable they are in November and December. Yeah, the Bills have lost to the Patriots 15 straight times, so uh, certainly a lot, to, a lot to try to prove this week. Uh, the Jaguars, for the second time in, I don't know, four or five years, decided to strangely cut their starting quarterback the day before <laughs> the season. Last time, when they did it to Leftwich, they had Gerard in place, and it didn't make sense at the time, but you could maybe make an argument for it. This time, to start Luke McCowan with... Blaine Gabbert, the future there, so behind because of the strange offseason. What goes through Jack Del Rio's mind? Yeah, that's a good question, Steve. I really don't know. And I, I watched that Jaguars-Jets game, and you know, Blaine Gabbert, the rookie out of Missouri, came into the game late after McCown just had an awful game. And David Garrard is clearly better than both quarterbacks are right now. And it's just a strange, it was strange timing. I hear they had like a kind of like a, a community rally before week one where David Garrard was even introduced as the starting <laughs> quarterback. And it's just, it's strange times in, in, in Jacksonville. I feel like Jack Del Rio may be the first coach fired uh, during the season. He may not survive the season. Just an odd situation in Jacksonville. To see them on the field with the Jets last week, and the Jets didn't even play that well. Mark Sanchez did not have a great game. Plaxico Burris didn't catch a ball. The Jets' running game continued to be a little bit suspect, but they just completely destroyed the Jaguars, even not playing their best football game. So a lot of questions about Jacksonville. Do they go to Blaine Gabbert from now on? Um, obviously, they're, they're not a playoff team. They really look like a mess in Week 2, and if you're a member of that organization right now, you have to wonder just what positive things you can hold on to uh, in that division and, and with a young quarterback in Blaine Gabbert and really with a quarterback in Luke McCann whose confidence just seems to be shot right now. You mentioned Luke McCown didn't play that well last week. Well, 6 for 19, 59 yards and 4 picks. Yeah. 
Not well. <laughs> I mean, he looked like he didn't belong on the field. It was just a, amazing to see that an NFL quarterback could play so poorly. And this was the guy that you released David Garrard for. It was just a, a strange, strange situation in Jacksonville. And and I tell you what, they, they do have a young kid in Blaine Gabbard who they hope is going to be the face of the franchise. Maybe they put him in there and hope that he kind of you know catches lightning in a bottle and starts to play some great football. Maybe like Cam Newton is doing up in Carolina. The sportscasters are here with Damon Hack from Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. You mentioned Cam Newton, so let's just go there. We're kind of bouncing around the league here. Uh, Cam has been unbelievable. Two straight 400-yard games. He did throw the three picks, and maybe Charles Woodson outsmarted him a little bit in uh, last week's game, but that's understandable. Uh, have we underestimated, as a kind of a football nation, have we underestimated Cam Newton a little bit? And maybe kind of wanted to put him to call him Jamarcus Russell before we ever even gave him a chance to play. And is he kind of proving us all wrong? It's a great point and a great comparison to make. I mean, people like when they remember Jamarcus, they remember the guy that came out with all the tools, the big arm who could throw from his knees and, and make plays. And um, Cam Newton, obviously, another physical specimen who played at Auburn. And he, the thing that was interesting about Cam was that he was a winner wherever he. He went, you know, he was a guy that played, I guess, in four different stops in four years, and he gets to Auburn, another coach, another system, and all the guy does is win, and there are questions about whether the, the system that he ran at Auburn, how quickly he could grasp an NFL system, especially without a full, you know, mini camp OTAs that most rookie quarterbacks would get without a, a lockout, and I think Cam has surprised a lot of people at how confident he is in the pocket. His physical tools have never been in question how he can throw the ball. He's big and strong like a Ben Roethlisberger, hard to bring down, can make plays when the pocket breaks down. But it's been his poise, his leadership, his ability to, to, to make big plays that has surprised a lot of people and his ability to kind of lift the Panthers from, you know, really from just the depths and the abyss to to competitiveness. I mean, this was a team in a franchise that some people thought might win two games this year, and, and they're 0-2 at this point, but they, they've been tough outs both weeks they've played. You mentioned Ben Roethlisberger there, and maybe we should uh, talk about the Steelers for a second. You, you covered them in week one and wrote about the Ravens, where they were really manhandled. Seven turnovers. I, I'd never seen the Steelers play as poorly uh, as they did that day, but they bounced back. They, they skunked the Seahawks 24 nothing. But I've kind of heard some rumblings that maybe not any, not everyone was quite as impressed with that game as you might think for a twenty to nothing score. You think the Steelers are all right? They're just going to throw away Week One as uh, one of those games where you just move, burn the tape and move on, or do you think you that that the Ravens kind of exposed some vulnerabilities that the Seahawks just weren't talented enough to exploit? That's a great question. I do think that the Ravens' knowledge of the Steelers and the fact that the Ravens had a lot of new players that the Steelers hadn't seen before kind of helped Baltimore really turn what's usually been a competitive series into a route. I, I do think there are questions about how long the Steelers' defense can continue to play at a high level. They shut out the, the, the Seattle Seahawks, um, who obviously that cross-country trip, you know, uh, playing a out-of-division opponent, uh, one of the Steelers' class, was a big ask for Seattle to begin with. Tavares Jackson really struggled in the game, but I still have a few questions about the Steelers. I'm going to be interested to see 
what they look like, you know, in October and November. You know, James Harrison, of course, had two surgeries during the offseason. James Ferrier, their longtime linebacker, was kind of splitting time with Larry Foote, his backup, uh, more than we're used to seeing. Um, that team, offensive, the offensive line is just, you know, shifting bodies around and losing Willie Colon for the season, their right tackle. So there's been some movement on the offensive line. Roethlisberger always takes a lot of shots during the year. He's, he's big and strong and usually able to bounce back. But this is a team that's been there so often. It's had so many long football seasons that go into the playoffs. So, and Ryan Clark has talked about how important it is for, for Mike Tomlin to help keep those guys fresh. He knows that he has a veteran football team. But I want to be interested to see if this team can kind of continue to play great football in December and January when they usually get it done with a team that's definitely getting up there in age. The Sportscasters are here with Damon Hack from Sports Illustrated. You can find him on Twitter at SI underscore Damon H-A-C-K. We're kind of bouncing all around the league here, having some fun talking about the different teams and players that have made up the first two weeks of the season. But I kind of want to look forward to this weekend as we do have some really interesting games, I think. We talked a little bit about Bills and Patriots already, which will be interesting. But I think Saints and Texans is one that's kind of flying under the radar. The Saints got off to a slow start on that Thursday name. Thursday night game against the Packers, but I thought they played really well. Then they kind of crushed the Bears, and the Texans are, are sitting at 2-0 and and uh, kind of starting to get to com- some confidence, and everyone's talking about how this could be the year that they finally break through. What are you interested to see in Saints and Texans, and do you think that the Texans are capable of going on the road into a hostile environment like the Superdome and taking down a contender, a team that is only two years removed from the Super Bowl with all those key parts back? Uh, where do you see this Saints and Texans game going this weekend? I can see this being one of those 45-41 type of games. Both teams just blessed with tremendous offensive talent, two quarterbacks that like to throw the ball, two offenses that are very complex and difficult to, to stop. But I tell you what, going on the road, playing New Orleans in their building is going to be a difficult ask for the Houston Texans, though. Houston's playing very well, obviously buoyed by the fact that they know they probably won't be seeing Peyton Manning in 2011. You know, Gary Kubiak, the head coach, has been beating his head against the wall for, for a long time trying to get over on the Indianapolis Colts. But this is going to be a very difficult road test for the Texans. It will show a lot of people whether they really have the medal to not only win the AFC South, but maybe do a little bit of damage because it looks like they're going to make the playoffs. They obviously have to get over Tennessee and Jacksonville and Indianapolis, but I think they're clearly the best team in that division. Whether they're a viable Super Bowl candidate, we may learn a lot about that come Sunday. A lot of people forget that the Bears, not the Packers, were the NFC Central champions last year, and they were the ones that hosted the NFC Championship game. Uh, Those two teams will face off again this week at 415 in Chicago. The Bears are kind of licking their wounds, and it was another one of those games where Jay Cutler just kind of rubbed you the wrong way. He uh, was pointing fingers. He had bad body language. He was watching the game all the way at the other end of the field, Uh, just kind of... All the things that you don't like about Jay Cutler kind of creeped up again. And the Packers are cruising 2-0, and throwing the ball all over the place. How important is this game for the Bears? And more importantly, how important is this game for Jay Cutler to kind of atone for the disaster that was the NFC Championship game and really the disaster that was just last week in New Orleans? It's big. It's big for Jay. It's big for the Bears. You know what, that's their biggest rival. At the end of the day, Packers-Bears is 
there's been a rivalry for almost, you know, the longest football has been around. It's one of those great rivalries that you have, you know, fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, divides families. And last year's NFC Championship was a treat for old-school football fans that remember, you know, George Papa Bear Alice and Vince Lombardi and those old teams that really kind of define the heart and soul of the league. And this is a passionate fan base. Both teams have passionate fans, and there's no question that a lot of Bears fans and, and probably some people in the locker room, too, are wondering who's going to be coming out there on Sunday. Is it going to be the quarterback that was a Pro Bowl quarterback with the Denver Broncos or the one that was pouting on the sidelines and has a tendency to every now and then throw that three or four interception stinker in there along with his, with his great talent? I have a feeling that Jay's going to play well. I think despite his kind of stance that he doesn't really hear what people are saying or, or more importantly, doesn't care what people say, I think he does care. He's incredibly competitive. When you're a quarterback in the NFL, you've undoubtedly had to overcome a lot. You've had doubters in your life and in your career. And he's a human being. He has to be emotional about what happened last year. I think he'll be out to prove a lot of people wrong. And I actually think he's going to play well. I have a sneaking suspicion he's going to have a, a good game. It'll be a competitive game. And the Bears will be as fired up for this game as much as any game that they've played since that NFC Championship. Yeah, and it's a huge swing game in the division. I mean, if the Bears can win it, they're tied with the Packers with that half a game edge, or they're one and two, and the Packers are three and zero, and they don't have that edge. So it's a really, really big game there. Your colleague Peter King wrote in his Monday Morning Quarterback column about what a great run the National Football League is on with their nationally televised games this year. They might struggle a little bit with that Colts and Steelers game. I'm not sure, but. The Monday night game between the Redskins and Cowboys is really interesting. Tony Romo just proved that, if nothing else, he's got a lot of guts and a lot of toughness playing with a punctured lung. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to do it again this week or not, Uh, but the Redskins are a team that we mentioned earlier, a surprise 2-0. They've got to take it on the road now to Dallas in uh, that enormous building that Jerry Jones built. What's your take on the Monday night game? And maybe just to take one small step back to last week, what was your impressions of Tony Romo? And and did you kind of did he take a step up in your book based on that performance last week? No question about it. You know, Tony Romo was facing a lot of whispers and doubters uh, considering the way he played in that Jets game in Week One, fumbling the the football away, that awful interception to Darrell Revis that helped turn the tide on what was a fourteen. Point Cowboys lead at one point, and here he is being talked about not being a clutch quarterback, and he, he does you know basically what no one really expected, which is to come back onto the field, which we thought was just a fractured rib, and he had not only had that, he had the punctured lung, and brings the Cowboys back really in a must-win game. As we talk about that only two stat, he he really kind of saved the the Cowboys early season in a tough road win against the San Francisco 49ers, who actually played pretty well in that game. So I think Romo really kind of got a lot of people on his side. He got a lot of people talking about the Dallas Cowboys again, and what better appetizer than having that kind of a comeback? And then you go into a Monday night game against your hated division rival, Washington Redskins. It's going to be really fun to watch these two teams that have been battling forever. And I've had some great conversations with Joe Theismann through the years and Carl Banks of the Giants and guys that have played in that division for so long, the NFC East, and Cowboys-Redskins is about as good as it gets. I think you're going to see a lot of interest in that game. You're right. These primetime games, they've usually been 
the Sunday night games. We had Vic against the, the Falcons. We've had some great Sunday night matchups. You have the Jets Cowboys in week one. And now we have this great Monday night game with the Redskins and Cowboys. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch these two teams. All right, last thing. Uh, you mentioned you're going to be in Minnesota for Lions Vikings and that you're looking to pay attention to Dendiba and Sue and maybe write a piece on him. What are some other things about that game you're interested in? Uh, these young Lions versus maybe these aging Vikings with McNabb versus Stafford. You have Peterson versus Best. You have all these interesting matchups all over the field. Uh, what's going to be your focus besides Nadamik and Sue? And maybe more specifically, what is it about Nadamik and Sue that you're interested to learn? Well, first on Sue, you know, he's a second-year player. He's the number two pick behind Sam Bradford a couple of years ago. I'm going to be interested to watch how he's utilized and to see how the defense of the front four is able to create pressure without a blitz. That's what Jim Schwartz likes to do. He likes to trust those front four guys. When you're able to just put pressure on a quarterback with four players, you don't have to blitz a linebacker or a safety. Your linebacking core and your, and your secondary becomes a lot better than when you're having to take more risks and, and create pressure in those ways, which obviously can obviously lead to, to big plays the other way. So I'm going to definitely be watching Indominus Sue, but I'm also interested in seeing Matthew Stafford, who has been injury-prone in his first few years as a quarterback in Detroit. Um, he's putting up some really, really good numbers. Uh, he has a great uh, kismet with wide receiver Calvin Johnson, nicknamed Megatron, who even as great as he is, and I'm sure a lot of fantasy football players know how great he is, on the national stage, he's under the radar. He's underappreciated and underrated. So it's going to be fun to kind of watch him in person and see if he's going to be one of those people that, that along with Indominus Sue and Stafford, are we going to be talking about a 3-0 and Lions team? And, you know, here we go. That's what's so great about the NFL. Every year it seems to be there's a team or two that, that kind of comes out of nowhere it is one of those teams that ends up having a, a magical run. You know, the, the New Orleans Saints coming off of an 8-8 eight eight year and, and winning a Super Bowl. You know, is it going to be the Detroit Lions' turn to, to take that step? And my colleague Peter King actually said he considered picking the Lions to make the Super Bowl, ultimately pick the Falcons and the Chargers, but it, it proves to me that there are a lot of people that are thinking that the Lions are, are for real this year, and I'm going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch them play, uh, play a game in person. Just one follow-up on that. Uh, you mentioned Calvin Johnson and how he's kind of under the radar nationally. Do you think that's because he's he's a little bit on the quiet side? He doesn't have he's not quite as uh, bodacious as like a Terrell Owens or uh, a Michael Irvin or some of these other polarizing personalities. Or do you think Absolutely. it's just being in Detroit? I think it's a combination of both. He's not uh, very, very uh, loud. He, in fact, when I went to Detroit a couple of years ago, Allen Park is where they train, and um, I was talking to Matthew Stafford. I talked to Nate Burleson and some other players, and, and Calvin, I don't even think, was in the locker room. He, he's not very uh, talkative with the media. If you've seen his commercial, uh, his, I think it's an Acura car commercial. He's kind of understated in that as well, uh, but definitely a, a great player. I've talked to teammates and former teammates who talk about some of the things he does in practice and in games, you see him on highlights, and he's just that six-five, fast guy, long arms, great athlete, can leap up and catch the football. And I do think that the fact that the Lions have been down, and also because of his personality, he hasn't kind of been, you know, Ocho Cinco yet, or or, or right. Terrell Owens uh, with, with most people, uh, you know, looking at him. I think that will change the better the Lions play and, and the more uh, Calvin Johnson catches touchdowns. All right, it's the Sportscasters. It was an amazing 
and quick half hour with the great Damon Hack from Sports Illustrated. Again, you can follow him at SI underscore Damon Hack. You mentioned you're going to be in Minnesota this week. What else can we look forward to you kind of working on here in the next few weeks? Yeah, trying to figure out a, a good New England Patriots story. You know, we write so much about Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick's mastery, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if they continue to win, trying to find new angles to talk about. Maybe it's a, something about their offensive line, keeping Tom Brady clean, how important that has become after his knee injury, and really looking at how much time he has to throw the ball. It's amazing how comfortable Tom Brady has looked these last couple of weeks. You know, no, no one throws for 500 yards in a vacuum. You've got to have some guys blocking up front. And that offensive line has really done a great job of keeping Tom Brady comfortable so far in this early season. Thank you very much for your time, really. We couldn't, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't be more grateful, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime as the season progresses. Thank you very much, Mr. Hack. Thank you, Steve. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, thanks to Damon Hack and Jay Clemens for being our guests on episode number 42. Don't forget that with episode 42, we are also posting episode number 43 with Joe Lemire on baseball from sportsillustrated.com and Carrie Byrne from coldhardfootballfacts.com and sportsillustrated.com talking about Bills and Patriots and all kinds of other statistical-related NFL information. Also wanted to mention, last week, episode number 41, we had Lee Jenkins, John Wertheim, and Jason Lockenfora. Definitely worth your time if you wanted to go back an episode. And one more piece of business for today, that's pick four. Oh, before I get to pick four, don't forget you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thesportscasters. You can also find us on Twitter, where it's sports underscore casters or at DonLikeSports, or at Diversity23. You can always email us. I always wish we got more email. Uh, I think we could use more feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Just talk to us. We're thesportscasters at gmail.com. And that's going to be important because we're kind of collecting some stuff that's gonna be, that we're going to be able to give away. We're going to do something. I don't even know if I told you about this, Don, but we're going to do something called the 12 Days of Christmas Ooh. here on the Sportscasters if we get a little closer to Christmas time. And I'm kind of just now kind of collecting the stuff to give away. So keep on to that email address, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out our blog, thesportscasters.blogspot.com. And you can find all of this information and more at our website, www.sports-casters.com. All right, as for pick four. We were waiting for football season, and we promised that when football season came, our records would start to go up, and this week was the first example of that. We went a combined 6-2. and two. Don hit his bold prediction. That was that the Saints would cover 14 points over the Bears. They won by 17, winning 30-13. He also won the game of the week, laying the four points in the Oklahoma-Florida State game. Won that 23-13 or 23-17 with the points. And he also won the New England over San Diego game, uh, laying seven points there. He won 35-21 or 35-28 with the points. Don's only blemish was the red zone inefficient Rams. 
Yeah. Didn't quite cover against the Giants, losing 28-16. But they certainly had their opportunities. Uh, so Don went 3-1, and one, overall v- record of 69-74. Uh, also went 3-1, and one, winning the Oklahoma and New England game, just like Don did. And I also won Atlanta over Pittsburgh. Atlanta was a slight underdog at home. And basically uh, a Michael Vick injury and a great Great catch by Julio Jones kind of changed that whole game. And Atlanta ended up winning it outright over Philadelphia. My only loss was that despite his three interceptions, Cam Newton was not held under 200 yards by the Packers. Instead, he was over 400 again. (laughs) All right, this week, a little behind the scenes here. Are we doing the college game of the week or the pro game of the week one? College. Okay, we got two shows here, a lot of notes. All right, the game of the week this week, we went with number 14, Arkansas, at number 3, Alabama. Alabama's laying 12 points, but I will take them to cover. I just think uh, of the six games between the three teams, they've played the only one with any real talent, and Arkansas somewhat struggled to beat Troy. So I think they might be in a little trouble here. I'll take Alabama minus 12. You know, I read in Michael Lewis's book, The Blind Side, which was also made into a movie, just how slick and handsome and smart and magnetic of a recruiter Nick Saban is. He's never anyone that I've been a big fan of. I thought that he left the Dolphins high and dry. I thought he left the kids he recruited at LSU high and dry. And he's never been my favorite guy. But the guy can recruit. And I think Alabama is on a mission this year. The Hurricane or excuse me, Tornado ripped through Tuscaloosa over the summer. Matt Crossman, who was on this show from the Sporting News, did a cover story about it. And I think Alabama is on a mission. And I don't think Arkansas has the athletes to stop that. The game is on CBS. Saturday, yes. Yeah, CBS. 3.30. At 3.30 on Saturday. I'm also going to pick Alabama. Okay, my host choice this week is a Green Bay at Chicago interdivisional rivalry game uh, at Sunday, 4.15 on Fox. Green Bay's only laying three and a half points here, and I I just think they're better than that. I've kind of said in my football preview that I think Chicago is going to be a little bit overrated. Maybe they've played better than I expected, uh, especially week one, beating down on Atlanta the way they have. But if the Saints are going to beat them by 17, it's hard to think the team that beat the Saints – isn't going to beat them by three and a half. I know Chicago's at home, but I just don't see it. I'll take Green Bay. All right, my host choice. I'm going to take the Broncos plus seven over Tennessee. That game's at one o'clock Sunday, regional CBS game. I don't know if this pick is as much about the Broncos as it is about the Titans. The Titans lost <laughs> to the Jacksonville Jaguars in week one. Yeah, yeah. So I just don't know that, the, that I want to lay seven points and take Tennessee in any game. Right. And I think that the Broncos, although not one of the better teams in the league, I think they're at least as good as Jacksonville. If Jacksonville can beat Tennessee outright, I'll take seven points in the Broncos and take my chances against Tennessee as the sirens yeah, drive by. Yeah, I was going to say, the there show, goes the sirens. See if it happens for both shows tonight. That'd be yeah. something. Uh, the world, My worldwide leader pick this week, I'm going to go with the Monday night game, 830 ESPN. It's Washington at Dallas, which is currently uh, an even line. I will take Dallas. It sounds like Romo's going to play. I just think they're the better team. Washington's been impressive. I think they're 2-0 at this point. 
but uh, I think that's something's got to give there. And I think Dallas, they looked better as their last game went on, and it seems like they figured it out. They're going to be super depleted at wide receiver. Austin's hurt till like it sounds like week six or five or something like that, and Des Bryant might not play again. But uh, I think Dallas just has enough talent. All right, my worldwide leader pick is I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to take the Steelers minus 11 over Indianapolis. That game's on Sunday night, 8.30 on NBC. Look at it's been a sad story for the Colts, and I know they did all right last week at home against Cleveland. They just couldn't find a way to win that game. But they got pounded, and the Steelers kind of got it right last week beating Seattle. the Seahawks 24 to nothing. But I still don't think they've played their best game yet. So I expect the Steelers to play even better than they played last week, and I just don't think Indianapolis is there. And I know it's a lot of points to lay, and, and two of my – four this week i have to lay 11 points and i'm not crazy <laughs> about that but i'm gonna do it i'm gonna take the steelers real quick from a fantasy perspective i know i i haven't been that high on mendenhall and you have but this is a week i like him i think they kind of do the same thing and they try to get him on track he only has something like 100 yards through the first two games so uh i expect them to beat up on them too my bold prediction this week kansas city at san diego san diego is laying 14 and a half points i'm starting to think kansas city might not win a game this year uh I'm going to say that San Diego covers the 14 and a half and Kansas City doesn't score an offensive touchdown. I, I just don't know who's going to score for them. Yeah, they're, they're, in a, they're in for a struggle. Look at my bold prediction. It's the old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. Cam Newton has thrown for 400 yards in his first two weeks of his career. Last week, my bold prediction is that he wouldn't do it a second time. So what the hell, this week I'll say that he'll do it a third time. <laughs> there you go. So my bold prediction is that Cam Newton will get to 400 yards passing this week. Okay, great show. Again, thanks to Jay Clemens. Thanks to Damon Hack. Make sure you check out episode 43 as well with Kerry J. Byrne from Cold Hard Football Facts and Joe Lemire from Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. Finally doing a little bit of baseball again. Yep. Don's going to cue the hip. Bye. All right.